إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما أما بعد One of the beautiful things the Prophet did صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم when he arrived in Medina he connected people together he paired people up uh, between the Ansar and Muhajirin so he took somebody who was already living in Medina, they already basically had the means for a livelihood and he would pair them with somebody from the Muhajirun, somebody who was migrating to Medina from Mecca who essentially left everything behind. And one of the interesting pairs, although Salman al-Farisi radiallahu an, he did not specifically migrate from Mecca to Medina, what's interesting is that he was actually already in Medina before the Prophet came. He has his whole story. It's beyond incredible. SubhanAllah, may Allah help us to connect with his story and to benefit from it for all of us, especially for our youth, because it's such a beautiful, powerful story of sincerity. He started off in Persia from a very well-to-do family, but he ended up you know, converting to a different religion, converting to what we would refer to as original Christianity, and he ended up being imprisoned from his father, who was a very important figure in the Zoroastrian, in the Magian tradition. Um, so he, he was coming from that background. He passed by a church one day. It intrigued him. He became Christian. His father locked him up. He breaks free. He goes to Sham. And there's this whole story that takes him from Sham, uh, then to Iraq, then to Turkey. And while he's in Turkey, right, his teacher tells him that I don't know anyone else on this deen that I'm on, but this is the time of the last Prophet ﷺ and gave him a couple signs. Long story short, he ends up saving up a little bit of money, he joins a caravan going towards Medina, right, the land of the palms, and they ended up, this caravan that he joined, they end up robbing him, kidnapping him, and selling him into slavery. So although it definitely was not the path that he wanted to end up being connected to this final Prophet in Medina, Eventually, that's what happened. But this is why he was in Medina before the Prophet even got there, So in a way, he migrated, but it wasn't, it wasn't the same as, for example, Suhaib al-Rumi, right, who migrated from Mecca to Medina to be with the Prophet, who was already in Medina. It was a very different route, literally. So Salman, he ends up in Medina. He's already there, and he's still a slave. And he hears one day when he's at the top of a palm tree, he overhears his master speaking to one of his relatives. They were very well-educated Jews. And one mentioned to the other, is it him? They, they recognize the Prophet like their own children, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So one of them mentioned to the other, is it him? He said, yes. He said, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to oppose him as long as I can, unfortunately. This was the response. When Salman heard this, he came down from the palm tree and he asked for more information. His master had an extremely rude response. But the point is, he was already in Medina. And who did the Prophet end up pairing him up with after he had his freedom? With Abu Darda. And one of, the, one of the parallels that they each had in common was that they were each very, you know, they were the scholarly type. So the Prophet didn't just pair up random people with random people. 
he was very precise and specific in who he was pairing up with, who and why. There were many layers of wisdom to how the Prophet went about this, So he pairs them up. He pairs up Salman and Abu Darda. And Salman, by this point, he's, you know, this is much later on in his life. And he, he notices, this is also before Ayat of Hijab, he notices that, when, so when he's staying with Abu Darda, because they were paired up together, he noticed that his wife, she just was, she was wearing, wearing very like raggedy clothes and just not taking care of herself. So Salman, he asks her, like, you know, my sister, like, what's, is, is everything okay? Did something happen? And she says, your brother, he has no interest in this dunya. He just wants to fast and pray and, and only ibadah. So Salman, he hears this and by now he has years, he has decades of experience as a, a, a person who's sacrificing for his deen, who's traveling for his deen, he's very well seasoned by this point. He's, his understanding of life is packed with abundant wisdom. So what does he do? After, after Umar Dardat mentions this to him, so he notices that, okay, so the, a few moments later, basically, soon after that, he mentions to Abu Dardat, come and eat with me. Think of like lunch. Come eat with me. He says, no, I'm fasting. So Salman, he says, I am not eating until and unless you break your fast and eat with me. He says, okay, fine. So he breaks his fast and eats with him. And then later on that evening, when uh, you know it became nighttime, and Abu Darda, he stood up to pray. So Salman asked him, what are you doing? He said, I'm standing up. Basically for a PM. He said, no, 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 lay down, sleep. He says, okay. So he lays down, they get some rest. A little bit of time passes. Abu Darda gets up again. Salman asked him, what are you doing? I'm getting up to pray. He said, no, 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 sleep. You need rest. And then as it approached the last third of the night, then Salman was the one to tell Abu Darda, stand, let's pray now. And Salman, this is when he gave him this famous advice, that your Lord has rights over you, your family has rights over you, and yourself has rights over you as well. What is he teaching him? He's teaching him balance in his life overall, and he's teaching him wellness. It's not just about one area of your life. You need to have balance between time for Allah Time for your family and also time for yourself, self-care. You have to take care of yourself. You can't just fast each and every day. Sometimes you need to break your fast, you need to eat. You need that nourishment physically. Nourishment's also needed mentally. It's also needed spiritually. So he's teaching him how to have balance and how to maintain longevity in terms of wellness. It's not just a, it's not a sprint, rather it's a marathon. So he's teaching him that there are different components to the human being and each one is important and each one has its own right. When the Prophet found out about the Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, what was the response of the Prophet Salman. Salman spoke the truth. The Prophet gave his prophetic stamp of approval وسلم, for the approach, the philosophy, the understanding the wisdom that Salman had and mentioned to his beloved brother Abu Darda, the Prophet gave his stamp of approval. Yes, balance is needed. Salman spoke the truth. So when it comes to wellness, when it comes to balance, we need to understand as Muslims that to be, to be well, to be healthy, and all of this ties in with Qur'an and Sunnah. Sometimes people think that it's only about reading Qur'an and praying, you know, namaz and fasting, uh, Quran, all these things are beautiful, no question. But we also need to balance them with other areas of our lives. One of the greatest tragedies of our time is if somebody goes to an imam and they tell them, you know, they open up to them confidentially and privately and they say, I've been struggling with depression. 
one of the worst things that that imam can say is, you need to pray more and read more Qur'an. Now, I'm not saying prayer is not important. I'm not saying Qur'an is not important. Absolutely it's important, but it's a slice of the pizza. It's not the whole pizza. And someone may think that this is strange, but that's what I've been hearing my whole life. I hate to break it to you, that's not a complete picture of what the Prophet taught us. I'm not making this up. This is not news regarding our deen. We need to take care of ourselves physically, mentally, and spiritually. We need that wellness. Take a very basic example. Physically, what did the Prophet encourage us? He encouraged us right, to walk to the masjid. Nowadays, over a thousand years later, what does the American Heart Association encourage above anything else? Obviously, you have like basic things you know, related to diet that are important. You can't just eat you know, McDonald's each day, every day, and, and that's all you eat. And then you wonder, why do I have these heart issues? Aside from some basic information regarding diet, what have they said? The best thing for your heart in terms of exercise, right? to walk 10,000 steps a day. Just walk. 10,000 steps a day. Now we know another secret within the ayah. The, the importance of walking, taking care of ourselves physically. Right? We need that. And that can tie in if somebody's struggling with depression, with anxiety. Maybe that can be something that helps them. Quran and salat, no doubt these are important. But there are times, many times when... That's part of it, but there are other things that are needed as well for us to be balanced, for us to be well and healthy as holistic beings, as humans and as Muslims. So physically, this is something the Prophet encouraged us, right? The, the importance of walking. He said, give glad tidings to those who walk to the masjid when it's dark, i.e. Fajr and Aisha. Right? For those who walk to the masjid in the dark, give them the glad tidings that they will have complete nur, complete light on the Day of Judgment. So now he's tying in the physical with the spiritual, the now with the later, the dunya with the akhirah. It's not just good for your heart physically to walk to the masjid. Also, spiritually, it's good for your heart when you walk to the masjid. So he's teaching us that this is important as well. In terms of emotional wellness, in terms of relying on others, we all need support. We all need support. And the best thing to do when it comes to support is to not just seek support, Sometimes we can be very stubborn against ourselves as Muslims in this regard, unfortunately. We don't want to ask anyone for help. We don't want any support for anything. We never want to talk to a counselor. We don't want to talk to a mental health professional. We don't want to do these things. We want to bottle it up, but then we unleash the dragon on our family. Then all of a sudden you have the husband abusing the wife verbally, physically, spiritually, putting her down. All of this poison because they're too stubborn to go to therapy. What shame, what stigma. We need to reframe our understanding of these things as Muslims. Why not speak to an expert who can help you in that area? And by doing that, your heart will become more at peace. Your heart will become relieved of the burdens it's been carrying through the process of speaking to a counselor, perhaps medication. There are many things. But we need to understand that there's nothing wrong with this. There's no reason for any stigma. Imagine if there was a stigma for going to a dentist for your teeth. No, 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 nobody should go to the dentist. Even if you have the worst tooth pain in the world, don't go to a dentist because that is shameful. Why is it shameful? I'm in pain, my tooth is killing me. No, 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 society says, you know, my culture says, don't go, don't go to a dentist. If you have knee pain, don't go to a physical therapist. No, no, no. What shame, what stigma, subhanAllah. What makes us unique as human beings 
especially from an Islamic perspective. This powerful thing that Allah gave us called the mind, our understanding, the heart. So if that is in pain, now think of a counselor as a dentist, so to speak, but for your mind, for your heart, to help with trauma. And if you think about it, as important as our teeth are physically and even religiously, the Prophet was very big about oral hygiene. And now we see, oh, plaque, it ends up going in your bloodstream and it causes all these other health issues. There's so much rahmah packed into the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Imagine if there was that sigma. That has to go. We need to reframe things and to understand that there can be a lot of good that comes from this, a lot of healing that comes from this. There can be a lot of benefit. There is a lot of benefit that comes from this. Now when we look at the ayah, كُنْتُمْ خَيْرُ أُخْرِجَتْ right? You're the, the best nation sent forth to mankind. Well, we should be people who want to help people, generally speaking, holistically speaking, physically, mentally, spiritually. What did the Prophet do after he received revelation? After the story of Iqra, what did he do? He sought support, sallallahu alayhi wa in who? In his wife, Sayyidah Khadija radiallahu anha. And she gave him that support. There's a time and a place for family, for sure, to rely on for support. We need to, to focus on diet, exercise, sleep, support, D-E-S-S, remember this. Right? As human beings, we need these things. There's an important place for that. But there's also, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلُونَ Ask those who know if you don't know. So instead of bottling it up and then being abusive to you know, the, the wife and kids, talk to someone. You will benefit. There will be so much healing that comes from it. And this is one of the most key things that an organization like Mass SSF offers. They offer support. They have this incredible, I want to say squad, this incredible team of counselors from different cultural backgrounds. They have counselors who speak English, other counselors who speak Arabic, Dari, Pashto, Farsi, Urdu, you name it. And these are qualified individuals to help us with the different challenges that we have. We ask Allah to bless them always. I humbly ask each and every one of you to please remain seated after the prayer. There is a brief fundraiser for Mass SSF, and I'll tell you why I want to specifically encourage everyone here to donate as much as you can, because it's no exaggeration that they literally save lives. This is a fact. They save lives. How many people? They have their data. They have their, their research. They have their, you know, they have their information. How many youth have reached out to the Amala Hope Line? Just because they needed someone to talk to because they're on the brink of suicide. And they talk to someone and that saves their lives. So when you donate to this type of organization, it's not something small. It's very significant regarding this life and the next, inshallah, because you're giving to an organization that is helping people struggling within their marriages, struggling with domestic violence, struggling with uh, so many different things. They offer medicine. Medicine, maybe not physically, but another type of medicine. They offer, they have counselors, they have these resources, they have the support that's needed to help people with their hearts. And that ends up saving lives. 
There's a lot of good that comes from it. So if you're someone who donates, especially generously, to support them, donate with your niyyah. We always talk about niyyah in our deen as I conclude. Donate with the niyyah that I want to live two ayahs. Parts of two ayahs. The first one, kuntum khayra ummatan ukhrijat linnas. You're the best ummah sent forth to benefit mankind. So give with that intention. You want to help them because they're helping people, especially within the Muslim community. They're saving lives, especially within the Muslim community. This is a fact. There's an imam, I refer many people their way because they come to me with an issue and I'll listen and, and, and then I'll redirect them. If you want to speak to a specialist who can help you more than anyone else, I'm going to send you their way. There are many people I redirect their way. And they end up helping them. And then people come back to me and say, thank you for that referral that helped me so much with my teenager. That helped me so much with this issue, with that issue. They do a lot of good. So give with the niyyah. You want to live the ayah. Kuntum khayru ummatan ukhrijat linnas. One. Two. وَمَنْ أَحْيَاهَا فَكَأَنَّمَا أَحْيَا النَّاسَ جَمِيعًا They're saving lives. So if you're giving to support them, you're getting the ajr of saving lives as well. Allah tells us in Surah Ma'idah, and I'll conclude with this, whoever saves one life, then it's as if they save the lives of all of mankind. So give with that niyyah, give with the intention, I want to benefit humanity, especially the Muslims. It's about time we live these ayat and we don't just read them and memorize them and listen to them. We need to put them into practice, especially financially. The main thing the Prophet taught us through his example in Ramadan, he spent more time with Quran and he ended up giving more and giving more and giving more sallallahu alayhi wa wasallam. We ask Allah to bless them, we ask Allah to open doors for them, we ask Allah to help us to help them because they're helping so many people. Again, I humbly ask everyone to please remain seated after the prayer. You can pick up some of these pamphlets. On the front it says COVID-19 program, but on the back, this is the main reason why I'm mentioning it, services provided, look at these, I guarantee you at least one of these will resonate with each and every one of us here. So we have to support them, not just mashallah, that's beautiful and nice, that's good. Yes, make dua for them, but also give. As-sadaqatu burhan. Your charity is proof, is proof of your trust in Allah, and proof of actually caring in a cause of benefit. A few announcements. One, there will be a family night tonight with Sheikh Ayman Aishad from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Inshallah, dinner will be served at 6.30. And number two, tomorrow we will be having the World of the Unseen event at Al-Musbah Warehouse from 6.30 to 10 p.m. for youth ages 18 plus. We ask Allah to help us. We ask Allah to guide us and forgive us. We ask Allah to turn all of our hardships into ease. We ask Allah to turn any emotional darkness that we're struggling with. We ask Allah to turn it into light. We ask Allah to help us and to help us to help ourselves and to help us to help other people. We ask Allah to bless Mass SSF forever and always. We ask Allah to accept their efforts. We ask Allah especially to bless Sister Gulshan and the efforts that she's constantly leading, Brother Tamir and everyone else associated with the organization. We ask Allah to bless all of them and we ask Allah to help us to help them and then we ask Allah to help them to help so many other people, especially within the Muslim community. We ask Allah to protect our community from suicide. We ask Allah to protect our youth from suicide. We ask Allah to heal the depression of anyone struggling with depression and the anxiety of anyone struggling with anxiety. Amin Rabbil Alameen. Allahumma inna na'udhu bika minal hammi wal hazan wa na'udhu bika minal hajazi wal kasal wa na'udhu ونعوذ بك من الجبن والبخل ونعوذ بك من غلبة الدين وقهر الرجال وما أمر إلا ليعبد الله مخلصين له دين حنفاء ويقيم الصلاة ويؤتى الزكاة وذلك دين القيمة وأقنص